the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another super cool episode of the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Pascarella, a.k.a. Nick's Glass Eye, a.k.a. Scotch, a.k.a. Susan, if it makes you happy. I'm here with my good buddy, James Woodard. How are you doing, brother? Doing good. Good to be back after a fairly long... Yeah, I don't even know what you want to call the last year, but yeah, we're back. It was a period of time. We'll just go with that. That works. Uh, <laughs> we've got a really special guest here today. Uh, without further ado, Outbound Course. My man, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. Uh, doing great, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, first of all, very glad you're back, and welcome home, and thank you for enduring the hell that must have been the COVID cruise <laughs> on the Nimitz. Um can you talk a little bit about that madness? Oh, yeah. Where to start? Uh, <laughs> so I rough. think it, it kind of started like right about the time that uh, that everything was exploding here in the U.S. and you guys sailed out of port when everything was shutting down, it seemed, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, roughly a year ago uh, is when we ended up going into quarantine. Um, a lot of unknowns there right so Mm -hmm. as we're trying to get the answers um you know before covid was the thing the plans were to start out with rim pack on the way out to the seventh fleet aor and uh, things just started to shut down left and right Uh, and we ended up pressing out i think probably a few weeks early uh you know we've got the the four week uh, com2x uh uh program and then uh, typically there's a couple weeks before you go out on cruise, but uh, it's affectionately called Contox and Go, which has been a thing recently for mm-hmm. different uh, air wings and, and carrier strike groups. So, yeah, just kind of going with the unknowns there, um, showing up on board, realizing that there's going to be a lot of other COVID mitigation processes in place and uh, just learning as we went, really. Yeah. Was everyone able to stay somewhat healthy on the boat? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, the, the numbers, I couldn't tell you just because that uh, was so long ago, but it was, sure. uh, in terms of our mission readiness, uh, it, it did not affect us. Um, that's awesome. You know, and, yeah, that's, that's a testament to just all the, all the folks on board um, kind of giving us the information when they had it um, and just kind of everyone doing their part to make it all happen. Yeah, that's great. Well, if you wouldn't mind, can we go back to the beginning of your uh, of your days here on this planet and um, maybe talk about uh, a little about yourself, your background, your hometown, um, and who influenced your direction to fly? Yeah, um, grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey, uh, which was not even upstate New Jersey, not not a big uh, military area at all. So it was. Uh, just kind of doing my thing, um, growing up, had a younger brother and, you know, we'd, we'd do like the flight simulator games together or Mm. ACE combat or whatever the equivalent was back then. Nice. Um, and eventually my dad kind of prodded me and said, Hey, you should take a look at the school in Annapolis. Uh, I didn't know anything about it at the time. I learned as I was doing the application uh meanwhile all my other college applications are for like music schools um nice. so yeah that ended up working out that uh independent of that my dad for one of my birthday presents uh gave me 
uh, a few hours in a Cessna, basically like uh, up to the first solo. Um, nice. Yeah, with a, a local uh, flight school out there. So uh, I'll give them a shout out, Certified Flyers uh, out in Morristown. They're uh, really good dudes out there. Nice. Uh, I ended up getting my private with them and then ended up loving it. Um, later, I find out that my dad had this planned out for me since I was born. He just <laughs> wanted me to be a pilot and uh, he's been living vicariously through me. That's awesome. What a jerk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Did he go on these flights with you when you were learning? Yeah. Uh, you know, all the, uh, once I got my private, uh, we'd take some, you know, family trips out, you know, the hundred dollar burger, that kind of thing. Nice. Uh, my brother and I would do the, um, what do you call it? It's a, it's a VFR corridor out in the Hudson, just kind of overflying like central park and stuff. You know, it's good times out there. That's sweet. That's cool. Um, so when, when was that, uh, were you late teenage years, I guess? Yeah. So, um, that, that was all high school. All right. So, uh, moving, moving past that, um, what, uh, what pushed you to head towards the military? You know, it's, I think everyone has their own variation of, of the post nine eleven. um, urge to serve mm-hmm. and, and wanting to go uh, raise a right hand and, and do that. So it's no, um, it's in that same vein. Uh, you know, it, I feel like my answer changes every day, but <laughs> uh, it, it ended up being a really cool opportunity. I mean, if you talk about the Naval Academy, right, like one of the incentives is you're not going to have the, uh, the student loans and all that good stuff. So my parents, that you know, that's why they're pushing me to go there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I ended up, um, and this is a theme throughout my entire uh, career so far, just finding good friends just to latch onto and mentors that kind of showed me the opportunities that were available. Um, and it just made sense that, uh, at least in my mind, there's a clear picture or at least a clear direction of, well, if I went here, I can, I can have these experiences and be around this type of, of people. So, uh, that's kind of what gave me the bumpers left and right to, to ultimately end up here now. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, did you, did you always want to fly fighters once you got in? Uh, no, um, I was pretty <laughs> set on helicopters actually. Ah, really? Uh, yeah, the, um, I guess just from watching all the movies and, and the books that I liked to read at the time, um, I was, I was pretty hardcore wanting to go eventually fly for you know, helicopters for the FBI and that kind of stuff. Um, throughout primary, yeah. In, um, in Pensacola, I, I latched onto these two guys, uh, that we became really good friends. You know, we still keep in touch today. And we just got really competitive with each other. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard about uh, you know, NSS and all that stuff in flight school. Um, just the, one of the benef- benefits of having that kind of study group is you get real competitive. Um, and I had the grades uh, that made me eligible to even put jets down. So that kind of made me start thinking about it uh, and ultimately ended up, ended up working out. Have you put any time in... Uh whirly birds uh no um okay. aside from like a grand canyon tour here or there um mm-hmm. let's see yeah no no real stick time 
Is that still something you want to do? Uh, not particularly. The, no. Yeah, let's say the ejection seat is, is something I don't really want to part ways with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you there. Um, well, that's really cool. Was uh, were, were you always thinking about headed towards growlers or were you just fast jets? Just fast jets. You know, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about uh, the growler at the time, you know, most people are pretty savvy about, uh, the super hornets and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's kind of fast forward through advanced kind of the selection timeline and, um, end up getting, uh, growlers out in Whidbey. And again, kind of not knowing what I was walking myself into, but, uh, surrounded myself with, with the right mentors at the time to kind of give me a heads up with, of what was about to happen and weirdly they didn't tell me much about what the growler did it was more about how awesome the skiing is out in the pacific <laughs> Northwest and how good the food is and they were absolutely right <laughs> that's cool well that's a good selling point at least um going back a little bit in time how was your how did you your first flights uh your first solo flights feel and how how did those help push you further down the path in the general aviation world i just you know you, you revert back to your training and it's just don't die don't die uh, <laughs> or at least don't make a fool out of yourself mm-hmm. um i mean your your essay bubble is is so tiny uh for good reason um, right. right it's it's new they're new sounds uh and it's no different um with the first orange and white uh solo i had in a t6 mm-hmm. um you know, it goes a little faster, a little higher, uh, and all that good stuff. And it was just, um, it, it all just goes back down to, well, I don't want to make a fool out of myself, so I will do, I will do what is required of me, and uh, <laughs> just do it by the book and come back safe. <laughs> don't break was, anything. Right. Don't want to do that. Was uh, your first flight in the T6 uh, memorable? It feel cool to push the throttles up? Uh yeah, man, it's it's kind of a blur, honestly. The, the the most memorable solo I can think of is the T forty five, just because you know you're 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 going a little faster, and um, the I think I forget how the syllabus worked out, but you you know you can go upside down pretty pretty easily, and um, I think the other thing about it was because it was so much faster and and so different from the t6 there are a lot of weird noises that you never really notice the first few flights in it with an instructor because you know you've got a safety net and now you're hypersensitive to every noise going on right um you know it's an older older plane too uh so there was also that um but yeah they were all they all kind of blur together speaking of those noises uh your music guy uh how did those uh, play into your handling of the jet. What did it sound like to you? What were the noises? Uh, you know, I, I the only experience I have is with car. Well, roughly is with cars and same situation. You know. Yeah. Uh, it it was. I would say they didn't really tie in together a whole lot, other than the lifestyle portion of it. Just being able to do music on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that did carry over from kind of before joining the navy was. Uh, in general aviation, you know, just had a r- accumulated roughly a hundred hours in the Cessna, and the, the the comms became a lot easier to 
to kind of spit out in the T6 when we first started mm-hmm. primary. Um, but in terms of music, I'd say there wasn't a whole lot of whole lot of carryover. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, um, learning quickly uh, or learning how to learn, if that makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. that did that did uh, pay dividends in the end. Uh, did you do much uh, improvising with music in your previous life? Uh, yeah, I did some improvising with uh, some uh, groups, quartets, and whatnot. I- I'm a cellist. Uh, okay, that trade. was my next question. Yeah, did a um, fair bit of music writing um, for like orchestral stuff. Again, mm-hmm. back back in like middle school and high school, the the dream was to write like movie music, um, mm, like cool. Hans Zimmer. Um, yeah, uh, and I I still do it from time to time, but it's that's really just for myself. Um, it's it's uh, not much more than than a hobby. Just a thought. I I feel like some of that music that you wrote would probably be epic behind this uh, cruise video that you <laughs> yeah. put together. Thanks. Um, that was the original intent. I actually downloaded uh, Logic pro um before deployment not all the not all the sample library downloaded so i ended up just using at the time what i thought was going to be a temp track but i just went with it because i thought it it told the narrative well enough and youtube didn't seem to have that much of an issue with with the copyright so i I went with it well that's cool um the uh the way machines speak to us in uh kind of rhythms and bonks and whirs and you know buzzes that's kind of the the direction i was kind of getting at with that question because i know each each machine even if it's like the same the exact same make and model as like machine b it's still going to have like a little different character and personality to it and i was wondering if that uh came into play when you were on these first flights where you'd hear these new sounds and the next time you go up you hear those sounds again you're like "Mm, that one's like slightly higher in pitch and i'm very concerned right now like that kind of stuff <laughs> uh yeah if you frame it that way uh certainly i think uh at first because you know just the number of hours in a jet and the the overload of of different you know stimuli coming in it's all you know goes right over the head but uh um, <laughs> right now after having flown a few hundred hours in in one type model series, yeah, it's they're they're very subtle differences. Um, not in a, I wouldn't say in terms of pitch, but uh, jets, you know, they, they tend to have different personalities, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you do pick up on like, okay, well, this jet's gonna, you know, the defog sounds like this, whereas in, in you know, the other side number, it's a little different. That's really interesting. Um, so I guess moving on to the growler, uh, how many hours do you have in the growler now? Uh, just north of 750 hours now. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the platform for those listeners who don't quite know what the Growler does, aside from it's a rhino kind? Yeah. Uh, so the <laughs> EA18G, so electronic attack, um, it's kind of all in the name there, but unpack that and I'd say the, the bread and butter will, will come down to the SEED mission, S-E-A-D for suppression of enemy air defenses. Hmm. Uh, and if you look at all the, you know, the, the graphical charts um, on the internet and stuff, they'll tell you about how the Growler can locate uh, certain threats, uh, surface to air, missile sites. Um, 
and then ultimately be able to jam them to prevent them being able to see us or uh, another aircraft that might be out there. Uh, and there's a lot, obviously a lot more to it, um, but the SEED mission set is, uh, it's been around for a while, but with the new generations of jets coming out, um, it's becoming a lot more robust. Um, and so the Growler plays a pretty heavy role in in uh, providing those tactics. Um, you've got the weapon school out in Fallon, um, that, that's the spearhead of that, which works in tandem with uh, Top Gun out there. So I've seen harms on the rails of Growlers before. Do you guys also uh, do the the removing of those SAM sites, or do you typically direct other fighters to go take care of that? It's uh, a little bit of both. Um, okay. In terms of what we bring to the fight, a single Growler, um, yep, carrying a, a harm or argum uh, can certainly... Um, employ that uh, as it's intended, but you kind of peel that onion back and realize how much more goes into the mission planning to to more effectively employ harm. And I, I realize I'm talking around it a little bit, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It, it can get uh, pretty pretty intricate, I guess is the word. I don't doubt that. Is the does the mission excuse me mission set uh, itself does that inspire you doing this type of work? It does. Um, just recognizing that every, it would seem like every couple months or so, there's there's a new. Um, I, would, I, won't, I won't say a new tactic, but there's there, there are new publications that are constantly coming out that are uh, I would say recreating anything new, but just refining uh, what we've been doing, and just seeing that happen as often as it does it. It's uh, it's pretty cool to be um, out there learning it, applying it, and then giving feedback to say, hey, this worked for me, or I actually had to tweak this this uh, tactic a little bit to make it work. Um, so it's it's uh, it's pretty awesome to be on on that side of uh, of the tactical world. So you kind of always have to be learning something. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a lot of your work is done from the boat. Uh, I was curious, uh, on the cat shot, um, do your eyeballs feel like they're going to punch out the back of your head? <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of harm, yeah, especially with the, uh, when you're loaded up, um, you know, you'll see anywhere between uh, up to three pods, uh, the ALQ-99 uh, jamming pods. Uh, you know, that creates its own, a, a whole lot of drag. So that means having to put on some tanks. Next thing you know, you're, you know, over 50,000 pounds, 52,000 pounds. Uh, then you start putting missiles on and uh, now you're close to 60,000 pounds. Then you have asymmetry. So the, um, the cat shot is a little bit more, it's a lot more violent. Um, so the, the asymm shots are, are, are pretty incredible. That doesn't what's, get old. What's the difference between uh, that and a regular cat shot for those that don't know? It just feels like uh, it's just a lot more violent. The initial impulse is, you know, you can compare it like somebody just pushing you in the chest to somebody like Spartan kicking you in the chest for an eight. Oh. <laughs> so it's like a car wreck you off the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Um, I guess it's... Uh, 
similar but just the polar opposite when you're when you're catching a wire does it feel like your eyeballs are just going to shoot out the front of your face (laughs) also true yeah uh (laughs) does not get old um man it's just so violent and they once again like you start thinking back at it and a lot of them blur together but occasionally there you come across one that's just like you know either the past itself was a little spicy or the circumstances were just such that like I couldn't see the boat until I was on top of the wires uh, type of deal. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. (laughs) That's putting it euphemistically, I feel like. Um, (laughs) Just, I mean, I I feel like most of our listeners have probably seen those videos of the, like, the night landing pitching deck situations. I mean, I, I have trouble going to the bathroom safely in the middle of the night. Like I'm always knocking something over. I imagine doing this, uh, just, you have to be so blindingly focused on the one thing. How much is in your peripheral? How much are you focused on outside of just that little football field that you're trying to put the jet on? Uh, initially, you know, the first few traps on the boat and you're a nugget, uh, nothing else matters. And, I would say I've, I've talked to some pilots that were like, yeah, it wasn't, it, you know, the night trap, it wasn't as bad as people said it was going to be. Um, and then you get a few more traps under your belt and you realize how scary it actually is. Uh, <laughs> and you think about all the other planes involved, not just the, the pointing news um, and the Hawkeyes and the Cods, but, you know, you got plane guard out there. You got uh, other... Um, uh, what's the word? Just other planes from, you know, uh, Comair is the word I'm looking for. Uh, okay. That's just, you know, they pop up and suddenly you're having to move uh, the approach uh, on the fly because uh, you saw something on your radar. And that SA bubble, once it starts to get that big, uh, you realize that it's not just the trap that can hurt you. It's uh, a lot of planes out there at the same time. Oof makes me pucker just thinking about it a little bit and i'll just circle back real quick to the note sure. of the the cat shot at night um with you know with no horizon uh it is that's a different type of pucker factor because uh, you feel the acceleration and you feel yourself come off the cat stroke um but with that amount of force happening so quickly it just it feels like you're um a lot more nose high than you really are uh, and there's some stories of folks that just instinctively want to push over on the stick because uh, they think that they're you know shooting up to the moon but yeah. um, you know it's in reality they're they're pointing themselves uh, quote you know dangerously close to the water so it just it harkens all back to you know stick to your training stick to you know, a good instrument scan and, and get flying away right for sure. James and I were actually talking about that a little before this and just the idea of being thrown out into the inky blackness of night, especially when there's no moon. Um, that has to be terrifying. It, it certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you guys probably had some pretty dark nights out there on the water this past year. Um, were there any that, uh, that kind of stuck in your mind? Yeah, we, um, Let's see. Some of the first few nights we were flying off the coast of uh, Somalia, and it is with, with no ambient light out there. You don't even see ships in the water. 
Um, mm. You could actually break out depth among the stars, which I don't know if that makes sense, but wow. I've never <laughs> seen uh, the sky like that before. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it, made, it makes you feel real small. <laughs> right. My goodness. How much time did you have? I, I imagine you're probably doing work most of those flights, but like when you're RTB to the ship or something, did you have time just to just like soak that in for five or 10 seconds at a time? Yeah. And that's typically uh, on average, uh, the most you'll ever get. Um, I kind of make it a habit to just kind of think about all the decisions uh, that kind of led me that to that point. Um, there's also a moment of, you know, the other side, it's like, how on earth did I put myself in a position where I'm about to land on this boat? Uh, <laughs> what mistakes were made? Uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, you, you grab those moments where you can because um, you're so busy all the time. But, uh, you know, when you're, if you can compartmentalize just fine and, and you look up at the horizon um, or so, some mornings, uh watching the sunrise uh, it's not something you get to do a whole lot uh, when you're flying around the boat because you're typically flying day into night mm-hmm. but a uh, night into day ops was was something else just both with your circadian rhythm and just watching the sunrise uh, it's not something you see a whole lot man no it's really not especially from you know 30 or forty thousand feet up you could probably watch the the light from the sun sweep across the earth i would think right Oh yeah, um, yeah. Especially out in the fifth fleet AOR, with with the amount of haze that there is out there, the sun looks. Um, you can break out the definition around the sun, and I know it's not smart to look right at it, but you, know, you do it. Uh, you just—it's mesmerizing, and, and, and some of the photos I, I think be, begin to capture that. It's not—it's not the real deal, but uh, it. I would say it, it puts a dent in trying to describe what that what that looks like right man that's just that's just so cool how do you yeah. decompress after a mission like that especially one like day uh or night into day uh it's just a lot of um you know going after the debrief going back to uh the state room and just you just kind of either clam up and you know watch a movie or for me, it was, you know, talking to my roommates about it because, um, you know, they've had a, either a very similar experience uh, the day prior or, um, you know, it's all very relatable at that point. So just kind of talking through it, um, both both the highs and the lows of each flight, and, you know, and you're on looking on to the next one. Regarding some of those really beautiful scenes, um, looking through some of your photos here, hoping we'll have some of those up on a gallery by the time this is out um i'm looking at a death rattler shot here this was probably their last cruise wasn't it it was yeah okay it's well, really their last uh, boat cruise i'd say sure sure it's really cool you got these shots with them legacy guys it's interesting to see the hornet with that straight wing these days now you see so many rhinos yeah yeah um that and just seeing how worn they are like it's you know obviously you can tell from the shape but uh when you just look at the cheek panel compared to you know the average rhino we had on the flight deck there's there's a lot more character on these hornets yeah they're uh beat to say the least yeah (laughs) 
but you make them look good, man. These photos are absolutely incredible. Let's talk about your photography a little bit. Um, when did you get started shooting? The earliest memories I have of the camera were, oh man, I must've been about three or four. My dad was into photography. Uh, big, big theme here, right? Was that part of his plan too? <laughs> uh, who knows? Um, he gave me this little uh, point and shoot, if you can call it that, uh, that was filmed, but it was, it was a throwaway. It was like basically a toy that he would just give me to keep me busy and occupied while he did his photography. Uh, <laughs> so that might have planted the seed, but it wasn't until college. Uh, I was in at the academy, and I, uh, a friend and my roommate and I, we each bought these uh, very simple kit DSLRs and just kind of went around the campus taking photos and, and just learning uh, on the fly there. So that's, I would say that's where it really started for me, um, learning more about composition um, and all the ins and outs of photography. What was your favorite stuff to shoot back then? Oh, back then, uh, I would say landscapes because, you know, I, I, you, at, the, yeah. at that time traveling was, uh, I didn't get to travel a whole lot while I was in college, so just kind of looking at places I would have li- had liked to go and then you come across these cool landscape photos and, and oddly enough I somehow kind of got away from that I, I actually don't really enjoy landscapes nearly as much as I used to hmm interesting what were your what was your rig after that when you started I assume you got a little more serious after college or was it late college you started getting like a little more into the DSLR thing uh, yeah, I'd say throughout, um, not even primary, just cause I, all my time was, most of my time was dedicated to, to just flying. But I'd sure. say when I got to advance, um, the immediate, uh, group of friends out there, we were all doing our solo flights, uh, pretty much in the same week. And, and somebody had asked me, Hey, can you take photos of me, you know, uh, coming back from my solo? And I said, sure. Yeah, that'd be, I can do that. Uh, you know, so I went out there and, and took some photos and I think that was really the start of where, um, my own stylistic, uh, stuff came out or came to light, excuse me. So, uh, it had more to do with kind of the, the, the pilot or the air crew interacting with the airplane that I, that really drew me in. During that first, uh, during that first shoot do you look back on those photos and you're like, Oh man, I wish I'd done this or, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how's your style changed since then? I think it has become a lot more candid. Um, in terms of, I don't, I don't really, I shy away from folks that pose for their photos. Um, for whatever reason, it's just, it's just it's too staged for me and so i enjoy kind of capturing the moment where uh they're you know coming down the ladder or pre-flighting um that just is able to kind of capture that moment in time uh so to speak where it's just there's nothing else going on except for this relationship between you know the air crew and and the plane for sure i really like some of these shots here there's a, a genuine feel to them um and I, you know, the the stage shots are, you know, unless it's like portraiture stuff, it's, uh, you know, there, there's not that 
emotion of the moment there and you do a really good job capturing that thank you um yeah man james i know you were talking about some of these uh some of these shots i love the shots of paddles like all the shots (laughs) you got of paddles yeah absolutely Um, no like you said you do a great job of capturing the people doing the work um as the candidness of it i appreciate that myself was there anything special that you got to do out on this last cruise as far as photography goes or was it all just kind of shoot from the waist anything planned or was it uh i started off um just trying to be as invisible as possible um you know free hour here or there just kind of go up on the flight deck uh, attach myself to to you know a sailor that can kind of watch my back and just kind of shoot um as deployment went on i found some opportunities to go you know in a helo and and photograph uh, a flyover uh, and that um progressed into talking with some of the cod guys uh of uh of which i'd gone to school with a couple of them so we were good friends uh, and they actually put the idea in my head of of uh, getting put on a gunner's belt in the back of a cod and having some some jets join up so we did one um i think we were off the coast of india at the time uh pretty pretty short and sweet a uh, couple i guess it was just a growler that, that came up snapped some photos and then it was like because you don't really see the nose on shots of of uh these planes a whole lot mm-hmm. right um and then towards the end of deployment so you know things got busy there um towards the end of deployment i kind of I, I just you know put up a formal request to say hey I'd like to get some of these shots. Um, this is conceptually what I have in mind. This is how I would like to, to brief it. And we ended up getting about roughly 10 planes airborne um, f- for the sole purpose of getting uh, some of these shots. So the, the shots where you see uh, the sections of, of a gr- uh, uh, rhinos and, and the growler are, are from that shoot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's some wild stuff. How difficult was that to organize? Uh, fairly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, I would say, coming from the pilot standpoint, I, I could see all the logistics uh, in my mind. Uh, so the hard part was conveying that to, to tell these pilots, like, in terms of operational risk management, ORM, like, you can you can say that you're not going to act any different from in front of a camera, but people do, they can't help it. (laughs) Uh, So that was a big sticking point of like, we're not here to, to show off anything. I just, you know, loose parade, uh, is, is going to be good enough for, for some of the shots that I had in mind. So do you have any favorite shots from this last tour? Any, any particular single shot that stands out above the rest? Um, I didn't know it at the time, but when I snapped the uh, just the cod ramp that was down, uh, so we were mm-hmm. in seventh fleet there. Uh, we were, you know, at like a thirty degree angle of bank, and it's it's just the clouds. Um, a friend of mine, we we used to joke, or we still do, about how nowhere else in the world do you see these clouds build up like this, um, and it's a. Uh, I'm looking at it now. So OVC 8013 is the one I'm talking about. Yep. Yep, um, I have pulled out. 
yeah, and it's just that in my mind kind of makes me think back to that that mo- moment in deployment where you know we're on the way out to to Fifth Fleet had this one opportunity that was uh, you know I'll never forget it uh, being on a gunner's belt hanging out the back of a cod um, and just seeing that uh, that sight was was very is very memorable. It's definitely a whole mood in itself. Um, just gives you that feeling of lifted, not necessarily even flight, just being above it all. Yeah, yeah, we were uh, about a mile over the over the ocean there. It doesn't really seem it seem like it. It you know it could be any altitude, but you know, knowing the parameters there and just looking around, uh, seeing that uh, that was really cool. Uh, another photo I had in mind was um, some of the the night shots, the long exposures, which I, mm-hmm. I know you know that those have been done before. But that was me just doing it on the fly out on the platform um, again, trying to be invisible to paddles, not trying to get in anyone's way. Um, so that was something that I didn't really do until the last couple months of cruise and. Uh, you know, if, if I go back, I'd, something I'd like to develop a little bit more. Hmm. Are you just hand-holding those for those long exposures, I'm assuming? or Yeah, because, you know, you want to be as FOD-free as, mm-hmm. as possible out there, so no tripods or anything. I, I think I was leaning up against the, the jet blast deflector that's, you know, right behind paddles there and pinning the camera to the corner and waiting for the the, the rush of air that comes, you know, once the plane traps, so you can mm-hmm. only hold the exposure until until that point because the camera's going to move. Did you mess up any lenses while you were out there? Um, not as far as I could tell. Uh, That's good. <laughs> yeah, the I got a couple opportunities to fly with the camera in the jet, and it made me nervous. You know, the the, the idea of taking a cat shot or a trap with with all these, you know pieces of kit um but they all seem to work just fine so what is in your kit or what was your kit for this last cruise what do you shoot with uh so it's it's the uh nikon z6 uh it was the okay. body uh at the time i was shooting with the sigma 70 to 200 f 2.8 um mm-hmm. that was adapted so the camera was just obnoxiously long long and impossible <laughs> to shoot within the cockpit <laughs> Uh, in the kit uh, 24 to 70 f4. Uh, when I got back, I one of the first things I did was I went to the uh, the store. I traded them in for for a uh, the 70 to 200 uh, f mount from Nikon, uh, the mm-hmm. 2.8, and then I swapped out the 24 to 70 for a um, a Sigma 24 to 70 2.8. Just one wanted to have that uh, ability for getting a little extra light nice that and uh the hero 8 i guess is what a lot of the the uh, cruise video was captured on and mm-hmm. uh the whatever generation of iphone i was on at the time 11 10s i think a lot of your shots have this uh this sweet texture to them almost like a film camera would um is a lot of that as you shoot it, or do you do a lot of editing? I'll, I'll use some presets that I kind of figured out over time. Um, 
just in terms of the color palette that I like and, and stylistically. Uh, I think uh, one of the functions are the, the sliders in Lightroom, uh, which is what I primarily use, is, is the dehaze uh, function. And I just feel like it brings out um, just a little bit without being too contrasty. Uh, that and then, you know, the standard uh, other sliders just going left and right. But then mm -hmm. color-wise, uh, so I, I try to edit the same day uh, when I get back just so I can remember in my mind's eye what it looked like and, and try to replicate it as best I can. Um, how, <laughs> I was going to ask, how easy it was or how I guess how difficult it was to I, I stay out of paddles way when you're at the back of the boat or um, when you're kind of on different parts of the ship um, with so many moving parts and so many airplanes moving around so many people doing different jobs I'd imagine anywhere is in the way of somebody yeah um, the the paddles portion of it was uh because I am a paddles, just knowing everybody there and they knew what I was doing. That's cool. uh, we just got, got into a good groove where I could work around them, um, not to interfere. Uh, on the flight deck, I only ever went uh, right before folks were manning up jets. And then as soon as uh, the first plane uh, was going to get broken down, that's when I just kind of scurried into a catwalk and kind of stayed there for the rest of the rest of the uh, session just because as soon as planes start moving and you know you got exhaust and props um I, I was not into that so <laughs> right yeah. and i would always try to have um you know another another air crew out there or uh another sailor just to watch my back that's cool and it came in handy a couple times that you know them telling me to duck and whatnot i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, when you were, I guess, near the, um, near the cat shots, were you using your 70 to 200 there? Yep. Uh, primarily, that's, I think, 80% of my shots were with the 70 to 200, just because you can't get close enough um, otherwise. Sure. Uh, but then when you're transitioning into these man-up photos, it's, it's too tight. So then, you know, there's, like I said, I'm not bringing up extra kit with me, so it's just making it work for that day on that lens. What are you, uh, what are you typically looking for? Um, I know we talked about the interaction between pilot and jet, um, or just air crew and aircraft. Um, what else do you look for in these shots? Um, a couple things. So one is the, I have these, you know, the bucket list in my head of, of the, this shot that I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I'm, constantly trying to get there i've come close uh i think the moment where air crew are going up the ladder um is is one where it happens so fast uh you know and i'm never gonna ask somebody to do it again or do it slower like you know i don't want to get in their bubble right um so it's it's a very um quick moment where you're trying to get the eye line just right the gate of how they approach the ladder, um, you know, how they're sitting on the legs, because it, it can look a little awkward uh, just from being on the ground shooting upwards into somebody. Right. Um, so that's something I'm just trying to refine. And then ultimately, uh, if I can do like a photo story um, from front to back, that's that's much preferred because then, you know, if I can show somebody like, 
from, this is the story from A to B rather than just a snapshot in time. Was there uh, was there a particular squadron on the boat that was more conducive to photography than another? I'd say everyone was pretty pretty open to it. Um, either the air crew would ask me ahead of time, "Hey, can I get you know a set of man up photos?" Um, or I would ask them like, "Hey, would I be in your way if I try to be invisible and take photos from the side?" And nobody ever said no. Um, I don't know if that was just them being polite or or, uh, or whatever, but uh, everyone was, was very receptive to, to me kind of working with them. That's cool. I feel like if I flew a multi-million dollar fighter jet, I would want pictures of myself doing that too, <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah, speaking of that, do you have any good pictures of yourself? Has anyone gotten good photos of you? A number, yeah. Um, well, by that I mean I think there are three or four from deployment that I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm going to send that to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, yeah. It, you know, a, a few of my friends that, that know how involved I am with photography, they're, they, they kind of, they can pick it, pick up on it uh, pretty easily and just say, Hey, give me your camera real quick. Um, or they'll, you know, take some shots with their phone and, and show it to me. So uh, it doesn't happen often, but, but when it does, I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. That's good. And uh, just some of these airborne shots, I was thinking back to, uh, you know, the question about flying at night or day-to-go night. Um, one of the advantages of being in a, such a maneuverable jet is if, if you miss the sunset, you can climb up real quick and, and watch it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, your uh, sunset pictures are insane. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the environmentals uh, were, were very uh, conducive for, for some of the real contrasty shots. Mm-hmm. The way the clouds pop in some of these shots is just magical. Thanks. Yeah, it, it certainly does add a lot of depth to it. Now, your shot of uh, the one in Afterburner that's next to you, how quick does he uh, disappear once they kick that on? Or, or what speed? Are you trying to stay the same speed as him or what? Uh, so we were probably at um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 knots there. Uh, I, I happen to be in the back seat for this um, okay. this photo. I got a couple of very unique opportunities that pilots don't really get offered to, to sit in the back seat to take photos. Um, and so, yeah, the the pilot there just you know he'll engage it. It probably took uh, about two to three seconds for for everything to just light off like that, um, get the settings right, and I just happen to match it up with the strobe there. Um, you know, and then the jet I was in, we just we just stayed um, uh, at 200, 200 something knots, so he flew away pretty quickly. Um, but that one ended up working out just to get the the cones there. It's it's very difficult yeah. to do. Yeah, and the strobe too. That's it's pretty sweet. Were you trying yes. to time it with the strobe? No, that was uh, that was an accident. It's a happy accident. Good accident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And you'll also see in that photo, he's got uh, three drops. So um, mm-hmm. definitely has the gas to, to, to use on that. Whereas the jet I was in, uh, we only had two, so we didn't have the gas. Looking at uh, the uh, steam rising off the cat in front of the Legacy Hornet, um, that looks like something straight out of Top Gun. Absolutely. <laughs> That's such a cool shot. And Again, the candid nature of everything, jets getting lined up, the uh, 
both the the crewmen on the deck with their various poses, leg in the air. Um, there's so much to this shot. There's so much happening, even if, you know, nothing's really happening, you know? Um, I feel like you really captured that sense of, like, everything coming together uh, in that shot. It looks like you took that from, um, what, the front of the ship, uh, just off to one side, looking down the cat. Yeah, it was uh, the port catwalk, um, I guess, directly... Uh, nine o'clock of the the island there, um, right next to the. What was it? There, there's some sailors that work down there, um, just observing. Uh, not the launchers uh, themselves, but people down the catwalk, and you know, once again, just like, hey, I'm, I'm, let me know if I'm in your way, because you know, everyone's got a job to do, and and the last right. thing I want to do is is interrupt. Um, that shot. Uh, was something I had in my mind for the longest time, and I'm, and it's the only thing that I, that I, I think could have made that better was if I had straddled the cat, um, just to get yeah, right. it straight down the middle. But uh, mm. I didn't really have the means to coordinate that in, in that at that time. Hmm. I was going to ask: uh, Is would would they even consider letting you do that? Seems like a not the best place to be. <laughs> it it depends. Um, I was very cautious about when I took my camera up there. It was only ever when we were in um, a routine. When we first started flying, after you know a couple of days of not flying, you know I just I just didn't even want to be a part of that. Uh, just because you know I I had my own things going on too. Sure. Um, so. The, the media folks on the ship, they were very uh, exceptionally helpful. I mean, it, we were, I was borrowing their lenses for some of these shots. Wow. Uh, and, and they you know, were kind enough to print, print some of them out for me that I would uh, kind of keep in my uh, binder. But Nice. Yeah, people were, were very helpful to, to make these shots happen. Um, but again, it was, it, it, even though we were out there for about 10 months, um, when I look back at the folders, I only really went up to the flight deck maybe 20 or 25 times. Hmm. How many photos did you take during the whole cruise? Um, somewhere in the realm of about 25,000. Okay. Uh, and I published, or I, I finalized uh, about 1,100 of them. That's a pretty good number. Were you passing them out to a lot of your buddies on the ship? I was, yeah. The, the printouts um, were kind of just my my way of saying thanks to, to a lot of the guys that were helping me out. Um, For sure. And then if I had a photo set of somebody that was you know doing a man up, I'd, I'd upload it to a CD and hand it to them. Um, and I actually just had a guy reach out to me the other day and say that you know, his his wife loved the photos and and. My parents were very th- thankful, and guys are getting them printed out. So that, um, I guess that means that I did my job. Uh, yeah, that's well super cool, man. That's yeah, your work is going to be hanging in a lot of people's homes. <laughs> that's really cool. Absolutely. Thanks. What were the uh, what were some of your favorite places? Scene speaking, um, when you were out there. Uh, in terms of places to take, to take photos. Yeah. 
Um, the platform is huge. I spent a lot of my time out there, not just working, but um, just being able to you know talk with everybody that you work with. Because uh, outside of that, you're working with guys in the squadron for the most part. Um, but when you're on the platform, you have folks that are coming out from every squadron. So you, just, you know, I ended up making some some really good friends out there. And you know, anytime you go up, it's you know you know most of the people out there, and you can. You know, you're working, but, you know, in between uh, guys taking traps, you know, you're, you're cracking jokes and, and talking about, you know, what, what dinner is going to be like. <laughs> was boat dinner anything to speak about ever? <laughs> uh, it was, it got the job done. I'll say that. <laughs> so like the coffee, it got the uh, job done. Also got the job done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you guys get to just kind of chill out um, when you were done working? Uh, I mean, it is what you make of it. Uh, I'm generally a morning person, so I uh, try to get up a little bit earlier and uh, go to bed uh, earlier. That doesn't always work out with five of the roommates. Um, but, you know, you, you find a couple hours here and there to, to go work out and uh, do, do your own thing. Um, but if you got, you know... A, uh, if you're scheduled for a flight coming up, you're typically spending all that free time uh, prepping and studying. That makes sense. How often did you guys get like a little breather, um, like going to port and chill or something? We had four, uh, I'll call them peer calls, because we weren't okay. allowed out in, the, out in town just with COVID going on. Sure. Um, so that was spread out. Uh, I'd say that was actually front-loaded on deployment. Um, <laughs> Uh, a couple opportunities of you know no fly days uh, sprinkled out here and there to, to just kind of relax a little bit. Um, a lot of that was you know spent catching up on work or you know or just vegging out and watching the entire second season of Yellowstone in a day, which I probably did. <laughs> well, um, we've kind of reached the end of our hour here love talking to you man some of these shots are just spellbinding like magical stuff man a couple of questions to close out what's your favorite aircraft oh man uh all all time i knew this question was gonna happen too (laughs) (laughs) yeah i it's hard to say anything but the growler i mean you know 100 percent bias there but you know spending hours and hours uh learning it um, to the extent that I have, it's uh, it's a great time, and I really can't imagine myself flying uh, anything else for the time being. <clears throat> what do you wish you could fly, past or present? Goes all the way back to the Wright brothers. Oh boy, uh, you know I've I've done enough training flights with with the F five where I look at it, I'm like I I gotta. I got to know what it's like just out of curiosity <laughs> just, just to fly one around. Um, so, yeah, the F5. If there's an airplane that looks like a knife, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. It's very, very pointy. Yeah. What was your favorite uh, favorite adult beverage, we'll say? Oh, man. Gosh, there's so many to pick from. I'm on a uh, bourbon kick, so I'll go with Blanton's. 
Nice. Which has seems to have like doubled in price in the last year, which is insane. <laughs> I think that goes for a lot of things, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. But, <laughs> yeah, Blanton's bourbon is uh is, is an all time favorite for me. Awesome. Um, what do you what do you wish you knew about flying when you were first learning that you know now? The extent of how reliant uh, you are going to be on other people. It is, like I said, the the circles of friends that I have uh, are just incredible. And you know, if if something were to happen where I you know couldn't fly tomorrow, um, I, I know that like you know the the friends aren't. That's not going to change. Uh, all, all those guys have have always been there for me, guys and gals. Um, so just could not under, uh, underline the importance enough about the relationships with people, uh, in the military. That's cool. I've heard that from many different circles too. And it speaks to the, uh, the strength of the connections there. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. I'll let you go. Do you have any advice for the next generation of aviators? Uh, yeah, my advice would be don't take no for an answer. Um, That's good. A lot of a lot of instances. I mean, I was medically disqualified for a little bit uh, early on before I even could touch uh, a Navy plane, um, and it just took finding the right doctor to to figure out what was going on and say, okay, it's actually not a big deal. Um, you can go fly now, um, and so. I think there are a lot of instances like that, not just uh, medically speaking, but you know, in in selecting uh, planes throughout flight school. Um, don't always take the first answer you get. That's a great answer. Yeah, solid like advice. That. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, uh, feel free to check out Outbound Course on Instagram to check out some of this amazing work, and we will have a link to our gallery for you guys to check out but thank you so much for joining us today man this is really great i enjoyed this a lot yeah thanks for having me guys i know we've been talking about this for a while so i'm glad we uh could finally get it yeah this is really good to finally do and uh also real quick is it cool if i plug your cruise video yeah absolutely uh check out vaq 139 cougars deployment 2020-21 cruise video to see more outbound course putting the moving pictures together with some unbelievable shots um, and probably the most badass cat shot from inside the cockpit I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> there's some really cool stuff in there. But once again, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, thanks for listening to the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Full Disc Aviation is a group of aviation photographers and enthusiasts that are passionate about sharing our love for aviation with you. Visit our website at fulldiscaviation.com for exclusive interviews, stories, and photo galleries, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for frequent content updates. Also, please leave us a review in iTunes. We always welcome any feedback that can improve the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. And don't forget, Full Disc begins at 160th.